Welcome to 2024. With the 2024 election on the horizon, the wars in Gaza and Ukraine, and numerous other foreign policy and domestic news stories, it's never been more important to stay informed. The DSR Network has you covered, with experts across all of these stories, to bring you the analysis and commentary of the stories that matter. Later this month, the DSR Network will introduce the TNR Daily, featuring Greg Sargent, formerly of the Washington Post, and a close friend of the show. Don't miss a moment of our coverage. Become a member of the DSR Network today. Members receive exclusive bonus content, the opportunity to attend DSR live events, a members-only Slack community, an ad-free listening experience, and more. For the month of January, receive 50% off your first year of membership. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSR2024 at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSR2024. Thank you for your support. Hello and welcome to another week here at Deep State Radio. I am your host for today's DSR Daily, Riley Fessler, joined as ever by my co-host Chris Cottonoir. Chris, how was your weekend? It was fantastic. Thanks for asking. And you will notice David Rothkopf unfortunately was not able to join us this morning, but we will soldier on in his absence and he will rejoin us tomorrow. Chris, what is your first story for the day? Uh, So I have a couple related to Ukraine. The first was um, an interview that took place on CNN with um, General Mark Hurtling, who's a CNN analyst uh, and a great friend of the show. And his comments um, struck me because he was uh, impressed, essentially, with Ukraine's ability to reach um, far inside of Russia, despite the lack of funding from the United States, he kind of, um, he called it operational targeting. Um, this, this relates to the, the story we reported last week on the bombing of an oil refinery in St. Petersburg, which also happens to be the home or one of the homes of, uh, of president Putin. Um, but, but this, you know, development um, is significant, especially in the light of what's going on in Congress. The other story related to Ukraine that caught my eye yesterday um, in kind of a a bit of a disgusting way um, is that in addition to fighting the Russians, uh, Ukrainian soldiers are also uh, fighting mice and rats um, that are showing up in the trenches um, while, you know, while they're trying to fight and some soldiers were recounting stories of, you know, trying to fall asleep with hundreds of mice, hundreds of mice. I mean, imagine just one mice, one mouse, Riley, crawling on you while you're trying to sleep. These mice are biting fingers. They are crawling all over these soldiers. And they said they were lucky if they got three hours of sleep. Um, I, I, I simply can't imagine. Apparently, this was uh, a challenge that was faced in World War I. Um, but, but my gracious, I mean, it's not bad enough. You know, they're fighting for their country and, and their, their rights as Ukrainians. 
but they're also fighting mice and rats. Um, what do you got for us, Riley? Well, I think the big story from the weekend was that another one bites the dust in the Republican race for the nomination. Uh, Ron DeSantis has officially dropped out and in the process endorsed Donald Trump. I think everyone saw this coming. The writing was on the wall. And I look forward to the eventual masterclass and how not to run a campaign from some DeSantis staffers because he really had a lot of initial promise. I mean, he was kind of heralded as the guy who might be able to take Trump out. And then it was just fumble after fumble. Uh, going to war with Disney did not help his case. And then just, I think his biggest problem was just being really weird on the campaign trail, being awkward, not connecting with voters. and. I think the perennial problem for all of the Republicans is trying to win the Trump base, despite the fact that you're not going to be able to win the general without the Trump base. And of course, Donald Trump has the Trump base. So, you know, I think this was inevitable. His endorsement of Trump certainly does not help Nikki Haley's chances, but I, you know, she was a long shot anyway. So I think we're just one step closer to what we all saw coming, which was Trump is going to get the nomination unless he is literally unable to take it. So unfortunate, I suppose. Not that I particularly like DeSantis either, but, you know, nothing, nothing too surprising. What do you got next? Uh, so frustrated Israelis. Um were protesting uh, during a parliamentary committee meeting, um, and they're protesting the uh, <clears throat> hostage hostage situation in Gaza by Hamas militants, um, and they demanded that Israel do more to secure their release. Um, they expressed frustration and, and urgency, uh, with a woman particularly vocal about wanting at least one of her three one of her three family members back. Um, you know, again, it highlights the the difficulty um, you know, that's being faced with both Israel and Palestine. Um and, you know, the longer this war drags on, um, the more kind these kinds of stories are gonna pop up. So so, you know, as is the case in the United States, uh, where people have demanded, uh, you know, a, a complete ceasefire, uh, Israel and their citizens are incredibly frustrated over the situation in Gaza. Riley? Well, some positive news out of the Middle East and the tensions that we were all kind of worried about. Uh, we covered on this show the ratcheting up of tensions between Iran and Pakistan over um, strikes on militant groups in each other's territory. It started when Iran targeted a group in Pakistan, and then Pakistan returned the favor by targeting an, a group in Iran, which led to uh, the ambassadors being withdrawn and official ties being severed. But uh, on a positive note, uh, they have agreed to return their ambassadors on January 26th, um, and it seems to be a sign that both realize that this is not a path they want to go down. And, uh, it seems to be a return to good neighborly relations between the two countries, such as they currently exist. Um, but you know, 
in a time when there seems to be constant news of tensions ratcheting up in the region, it's good to see that there is some effort to kind of keep things down as much as possible. Um, you know, this wasn't really tied to the greater conflict in Israel-Gaza, but good to see that it is at least being addressed in a diplomatic way. Chris? Uh, finally, the Biden administration continues to fight for abortion rights um, across the country, uh, this time on the anniversary of the Roe versus Wade uh, ruling by the Supreme Court. Um, the Biden administration is putting forth um, under the Affordable Care Act uh, low or no cost uh, contraceptives, uh, forming a team to enforce emergency abortion provisions nationwide and reinforcing insurers' obligations to provide contraception without cost. Um, Biden's administration continues to work um, with Congress to pass laws uh, to legalize or to have a, a national right to abortion um, in sharp contrast with uh, former President Trump's, um, you know, celebration after Roe v. Wade was overturned. Um, happy to see these developments. Uh, there have been plenty of stories um, cited, especially the, the case in Texas that we reported on a couple of months ago. Um, you know, around this topic. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of these actions are actually having a positive impact despite some of the challenges, um, you know, that were faced right after the Roe v. Wade overturning of uh, abortion rights. Um, so glad to see the Biden administration continuing to fight. Um, and this is the kind of president uh, who continues to fight for the rights of uh, the citizens of the United States. Riley? An interesting story out of China that I saw, uh, and this is a controversy over the China's Supreme People's Court, which is one of their highest courts. And they have been the subject of kind of rare public criticism uh, by promising to, uh, and they've promised in response to deepen judicial disclosure following a plan that was going to as many kind of predicted, restrict access to court decisions. They had announced in December that they would create a new database containing over 2,000 cases for access by scholars, lawyers, and experts. But the fear is that this was going to replace their current open database, which has 143 million court documents, which obviously would be a pretty dramatic drawdown of public access. And you know, one of the theorized reasons for this is that the archive has been crucial for lawyers, but also activists and human rights organizations. And this was met by a pretty strong backlash on social media and criticisms from legal professionals, uh, which has led to the statement uh, on the 15th that they would be releasing more court documents online. Um, there's still concern of whether or not this is just talk and whether or not the policy is going to stay the course. But I do think it's interesting that, you know, public dissent and criticism is a lot more rare in China. So it's interesting of kind of all the cases, this is one that really drew public ire and precipitated in at least talk of change, if not actual change. So I think it's interesting. Uh, I, I don't, I doubt that this is going to have kind of a greater effect, but I do think it's kind of an interesting little case um, that highlights the power of kind of 
public dissent, even in China. Chris, do you have any final thoughts for today? I do not. I do not, Riley. Thank you. Well, with that, we will bid you farewell for today. We've got a lot of great shows coming up this week. And as always, we will be back every day for more DSR Dailies to bring you the latest on the news. Until then, bye-bye.